Welcome to the Manic Metallic Podcast, where we respect fashion's past, analyze fashion's present, and get excited about fashion's future. I'm Liberty Gaiman, founder and creative principal of fashion media company Manic Metallic. Several times per week, I'll bring you episodes about exciting things happening in fashion, discussion about current issues facing the industry, and the places and people that have made the fashion industry great. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Instagram at the Manic Metallic Podcast and at Manic Metallic, both linked in our show notes. Now, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the Manic Metallic Podcast. I'm Liberty, your host. In today's installment of our Who Is series, we're going to talk about the life and career of one of fashion's most underrated female founders. This is someone that employed around 1,200 people around the peak period for her company. It's someone whose work was, and is, considered by some to be the epitome of elegance. We're going to discuss Jean Lonvin. Jean Lonvin, the oldest of 11 children, was born on January 1st, 1867 in Paris, France, to a journalist's father and a seamstress mother. She took on her first paid job at age 13, when she began working for a milliner on Rue de Faubourg Saint-Honor. Her role entailed delivering hats across Paris. A few years later, she began a milliner's apprenticeship where customers ended up loving the work that she did. Lonvin opened her first millinery shop in 1885 on Rue de Marche Saint-Honor with her own savings. She would move business locations twice after this throughout her life. She married first husband Henry Emilio Georges de Pietro, an Italian nobleman, in 1895. A couple of years later, on August 31st, 1897, she gave birth to the true love of her life, daughter Marguerite, who would be an only child. Her marriage to Di Pietro fell apart when Marguerite was six years old, and they were divorced in 1903. She would marry her second husband, journalist Xavier Millet, in 1907, when she was 41 years old. Xavier would eventually become the French consul to Manchester, England. By that time, she had begun to create clothing for her daughter that was widely admired by the women that would come into her shop. Seeing an entrepreneurial opportunity, she became the first designer to launch a children's fashion line in 1908. Her daughter would remain her muse for the rest of her life. After receiving inquiries about garment creation from the moms of the children who would wear Lonvin's children's wear, Jean Lonvin officially launched her fashion house in 1909 and joined the Chambre Syndicale de l'Ordre Couture that same year. From this point onwards, she continued to become more and more successful as the years went on. By 1915, she was widely known for her mother and daughter creations. Owing to her obsession with color, she opened her own dye factory in 1923 so that she could have unique colors mixed for her brand. A few of those colors were Frangelico Blue, Velasquez Green, and Polignac Pink. Not that she was averse to neutrals, because she frequently used black and white along with the brand's typical colors. Lonvin became the first design house to create a men's made-to-measure line in 1926. To top off that year, Lonvin was named Chevalier of the Légion d'Honneur. Chevalier means knight. One has to have 20 years of public service or 25 years for professional activity to receive this honor. I've linked in the show notes to the Légion d'Honneur's website if you want to know more about what this honor means in France. In 1927, after multiple attempts at creating a successful perfume, Lonvin released Arpege to the public. Jeanne launched it by gifting it to her daughter Marguerite for her 30th birthday. The perfume itself was inspired by her as well. The perfume's logo, created by illustrator Paul Uribe, was a representation of the bond between Jeanne and her daughter. 
The perfumes bottle was created by Echo de Boule graduate Armand Albert Reto, one of France's top architects at the time. The same architect designed her brand's shops and her homes in Paris and the countryside. Longvin and Reto would collaborate extensively over the years, with one of the most fruitful collaborations being home decor items. Longvin, a self-taught designer that did not draw, also designed bridal wear, furs, and lingerie, in addition to women's wear, men's wear, children's wear, and home decor. One could likely infer from this that Jean was one of the first designers to see fashion as a lifestyle endeavor. Her collections had a multitude of variety in order to please her customers. She did have a wide age range, diverse body types, and a generally diverse clientele to please, after all. The robe de style, a formal evening wear dress, was one of those garments meant to work for everyone. It became one of Lanvin's trademarks. Preferring to use bold colors and innovative decorative techniques, she would choose fabrics that conveyed luxury and were soft and flowing, such as lace, taffeta, silk, satin, organza, chiffon, and tulle. She'd embellish her clothing with ribbons, beading, pearls, and various types of embroidery. Jean Lanvin had a desire for her clothing to enhance the sense of femininity of the wearer. She did this by designing items that fit three of the brand's chosen keywords. Elegance, modernity, and of course, femininity. These brand codes helped Lanvin to become the oldest surviving fashion house. I want to take a quick moment to tell you about Manic Metallic's recent product. Do you like fashion? Does it matter to you beyond just entertainment value? Well, Manic Metallic is a fashion media company that creates audio, written, and video content that supports our ethos that fashion is an art, discipline, and societal force for change. We recently published a fashion ebook titled Alternative Fashion Capitals, a survey of 20 cities of emerging thought leadership. In it, we detail 20 cities beyond just New York, Milan, London, and Paris that have thriving fashion scenes, and we dive deep into what they have to offer, including shopping districts, specific places to shop, brands, events, fashion organizations, fashion publications, and universities and colleges. These 20 cities have a lot to offer the world with regards to the fashion industry, and Manic Metallic is determined to share their stories. We'd love for you to consider purchasing this fashion ebook and for you to join our growing community via our website, social media, newsletter, and podcast. For more information on the ebook and where it can be purchased, please visit manicmetallic.com forward slash products. We look forward to hearing from you. Now, back to the podcast. Longvin pulled inspiration from contemporary artists, traveling, and the world around her. Being a frequent traveler when not working on her next collection, she kept travel journals and wrote about objects that she found, fabric samples, or traditional clothing at the locations that either she or her friends or family would visit. This love of travel also led to her opening shops in different places such as Cannes, Biarritz, Barcelona, and other locations. She traveled in artistic circles, associating with painters from the Nabis movement and building friendships with musicians, artists, and writers. As an art collector, she preferred Renoir, Degas, Fantine Latour, and Fregonard, among others. She was influenced by the use of light in Impressionist pieces and the symbolic pieces of French painter Odilon Redon. Despite being so culturally adept and so revered in fashion circles, Lanvin primarily preferred time alone. She wouldn't participate in most social events, save for a few, in which she used the opportunity to observe people for business purposes. She downplayed her image and personality because she knew what was truly important to her, her child and her work. 
1938, she was named an officier of the Légion d'honneur. Officier means officer. One has to have eight years as a chevalier to receive this honor. Jean Lanvin passed away on July 6, 1946, at age 79. Jean Lanvin is one of the most underrated names in the entirety of fashion history. And with respect to women's freedom to determine their own destiny, she was a trailblazer in every sense of the word. She built up a formidable business empire that successfully competed at that time with that of Elsa Scaparelli and Coco Chanel. She was one of the first designers to present four collections a year, which was a predecessor to the high number of shows that we see every year by designers to this day. Look at how many firsts that she had. First to create children's wear. First to create a made-to-measure line of men's wear. First to create a mixed eau de toilette. This happened in 1933. One of the first designers to imagine and act on the possibilities of lifestyle integration in fashion. And don't forget that she purchased her first shop space in 1885 with her own savings. This was not an easy time for women to be going off and starting anything except for large families. So for her to persist until she reached the heights of fashion, this happened in the 1920s, a time when women were finally seeing signs of being liberated from the grips of patriarchal attitudes, though as we know, this would continue for much longer. So the fact that she persisted until she reached the heights of fashion was phenomenal. And let's talk about her role as a parent. Her daughter inspired everything that she did. She didn't see having children as a hindrance. In fact, she let it motivate her to be stronger and more successful. She doted on her daughter and seemed to want to give her everything that she didn't get to have herself as a child. She loved and respected children so much that she also wanted to make sure that her employees would not have to worry about childcare while they were working. She hosted a nursery on premises for her employees' children. Many employers these days still won't go that far, and it could be useful to so many people if they would. It goes to show just how progressive that Jean Lavigne was in so many ways. Last, let's talk about her approach to her work. Here we've got a woman that had very astute business instincts and a good sense for what her clients wanted. The twist, however, is this. She did not want to be a celebrity or a famous personality. She wanted to do the work and be respected for what she'd done, not for a facade through which she wanted the public to judge her. She was passionate about design and about making her customers look and feel like their best selves. This is the offense that she's committed against the annals of history, to put her work and mission first instead of her personality, as designers like Chanel and Scaparelli did. Why does history choose to glorify those that are loud, that perform, and entertain? What if one doesn't have desire to perform for the world? What if one just wants to create? That hasn't changed today for the record. Look around and see what counts to others when they judge whether or not that you've been successful. What is your follower count on your various social media accounts? This especially applies to Instagram for us fashion types. How many media appearances have you had? These things heavily determine who gets ahead in the fashion industry. Ask yourselves, how many Jean Lavines do we have out in the world doing wonderful things for the fashion industry or that have the potential to do so and are not being seen or recognized because the fashion industry is pushing fashion entertainers and performers to the headlines and to the front rows? When success and legacy become determined by one's ability and desire to court an abundance of applause as opposed to what one offers to the world, 
Is it any wonder why the outputs that we see so often these days have become a tribute to mediocrity? We desperately need to reevaluate how we remember the contributions of those that have come before us and of those so presently in our midst. That's going to be the end of this episode. Tune in to our next one. And until then, see you next time. Thanks for listening. If you got value out of today's episode, it'd mean a lot to me if you rate, review, and subscribe to the Manic Metallic Podcast. Be sure to tell all of your fashion and climb friends and co-workers about the podcast as well. This would really help us to spread our message about fashion being an art, discipline, and force for societal change. And don't forget to stay in touch with us by subscribing to the Manic Metallic newsletter and following us on Instagram. Feel free to reach out to us through either of those means. I'd love to hear from you. I'll link these all in the show notes. You're the best. See you next episode.